Would you say that along this time, where would you say your confidence um, mm. come, came from? My work ethic and the confidence in the work that I'm going to deliver has always been there. Mm -hmm. But the confidence around like setting boundaries and then setting personal and professional boundaries, that came, that came later. Like I knew that I needed to negotiate. So to me, that's associated with my work and my worth value. So that was a given. It didn't feel like a boundary necessarily. So I know that you'll agree, enjoying myself while I work is the vibe that I'm trying to be on. So I want to invite you guys to Sidebar ATL here in Atlanta, Georgia. Sidebar, on top of the good food and live music, they have three different experiences. That means you can join me in the garden room, in the gold room if you want to try the top of the line hookah, and they also have the dungeon where I hear what happens in the dungeon stays in the dungeon. So it's the perfect mix if you're here on business or you want to blow off some steam after work, you can meet me at Sidebar ATL so that you can have a little bit of dinner and then turn up afterwards if that's your jam. So check us out, 79 Poplar Street here in downtown Atlanta, or you can call 678-800-0741. Let's get it, work and play at the same time, right? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Young, and I have a really, really, like a kindred spirit. Seriously. Like, literally here to join me today. So, you guys know, I love to talk about self-actualization, self-discovery, life transitions, all of those, and even careers all in one. And who would know I met another girl just <laughs> like me who does, who does all the same things but specializes in boundaries. So, I'm really excited to get into this conversation with you. We're going to talk all about the boundaries from a professional standpoint yes but I want to get to this is about you so without further ado please take it away hello everyone my name is Ashley McLemore my pronouns are she and her and I am a diversity equity inclusion expert that uses boundaries um, gemstone healing to help people heal from workplace burnout workplace mm. discrimination and I do that with coaching as well as with uh, consulting as well nice I don't think I knew about the gemstone healing what's that the bracelet. Is that right? Yes. Tell me more. Okay, so for example, this is my truth and communication bracelet. And the idea is that what you wear on your right hand is what you want to put out. Mm. And what you wear on the left hand is what you want to bring into you. Okay. So I have some truth and communication for today. Mm -hmm. Hello. Mm -hmm. And then here I have, um, this is green avaturine and pyrite for prosperity abundance is my wealth bracelet. Yes. And then these two are grounding stones. Um, yeah, just so that I'm grounded in my space and conversation with you and throughout my day. So I love that. Yes, I incorporate that into my coaching as well. Okay, dope. There was a time in my life where I was eating so many blueberries <laughs> because I was like, you are going to speak your truth. Okay, sis. throat chakra. <laughs> yes. So, so I see that the, the, the uh, bracelet is blue. Is mm -hmm. that in alignment to, with the chakra? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then there's this little white. Piece. So this is a Buddha head. Mm -hmm. um, I just really liked it. I thought mm -hmm. it was cute mm -hmm. and then it represents peace and calm to me so just incorporate it all together peaceful communication calm communication clear communication yeah yes that's good yes thank that's you. really good okay so now that we're into it how did you become like I love the boundaries out of you <laughs> how did you become a boundaries expert tell us not having any mm-hmm that was it mm. yes so um, for much much most of my life I kind of just went with the flow or tried to please other people 
Um, my upbringing kind of put me into this space where I needed to, um, hmm, how do I want to phrase this? I needed to figure out how to get in and out of situations safely and that didn't always mean asserting my boundaries. Sometimes it meant being quiet when I didn't want to be quiet, Okay. right? Sometimes it meant that um, I was able to observe, I'm hypervigilant, that's like in my DNA now. Mm. So I can observe my surroundings very quickly, mm. which is great, and also could bring some anxiety Right. So I didn't always have these boundaries because of where um, where and how I was raised. But because of that, I was able to realize that's where I was deficient in a way. Mm -hmm. And that's the muscle that I needed to grow. Yeah, I think that that is a, a huge um, starting point because, you know, I will say I've had my own personal journeys mm -hmm. personally and professionally. And I think that if we start in the space that we both like um, are similar in, in corporate, mm -hmm. I think navigating in corporate America requires you to one, understand what your boundaries are, mm -hmm. um, and even maybe be, even be aware of what other people's boundaries are. So as it relates to like you you coming up into the world, you said that you know you 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 develop some things from childhood, mm -hmm. and then you had to develop this um, this this um, I want to say uh, expertise in boundaries that really helps you in your personal life today. Yes. What was it like before you knew mm. about your boundaries when you were navigating in your corporate space? And you can fill us in on what your, your role was. Yes, so um, my very first job out of undergrad, I have a bachelor's in fashion merchandising and marketing. Nice, uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> It all comes together. Yes. <laughs> so um, my very first job was managing this retail store and I was mm. so excited. And um, I just wanted to do my best. So I just worked really, really hard. Okay. 12 hours <clears throat> more sometimes. And um, I just wanted to um, like use my degree and I really wanted to get into the um, buying and selling, being a buyer. Really? But I started in retail. So that's, that was why I got my degree. I was mm -hmm. like, I've been doing retail since I was 16. Mm -hmm. I have this degree so that I can be a buyer and decide, be the one that chooses what's in stores. Yes. That was my initial goal. And so I'm working in this retail store, busting my butt, and I realized that other store managers weren't working as hard as I was working. Uh, and then my store was a lower volume store and they, there were rumors that it was closing. Okay. And so I just worked harder. Cause I was like, if I just do so well, they can't close it. Wow. They were already, it was, it was going to be closed. It was in the plans, right? Oh child. So, right, little 23-ish year yeah. old self. <laughs> trying to hustle. Yeah, but Stressing you know, myself out. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they closed the store, but because I did so well, they promoted me. So I went from the number 14 out of 15 stores to the number two store. Okay. Mm-hmm. Woo, totally different world, busy, busy, busy. Uh, I had to rehire a whole new team. Fast forward, one day I had, um, still working these wild 12, 13 hours. I would, uh, working in the mall, so I would just get a Starbucks coffee for breakfast and lunch. And then by the time I get home, I would have like, again, 23, so I'm microwaving something. Mm -hmm. And that was my life for about five or six months. Mm, okay. So one day, 
I'm leaving the job and I have a burning sensation here. And I'm like, what is going on? I thought I got stung by something. That's the kind of burn. I look and there's like bumps. And so the next morning I go into urgent care and I'm sitting on the, the little examination table and the doctor was like, so um, are you under any stress? Hmm. I start bawling on the table because yes, I'm under stress, but no one had asked me. I was 23, I wasn't, hadn't thought about therapy. I wasn't doing any self-care. I wasn't even eating properly, mm-hmm. right? And so I realized burnout is real. I didn't call it that at the time, but I was like, this, I can't keep functioning like this. Yeah. Busting my butt, working all of these hours, and I already knew everyone else wasn't doing it. But there was something, excuse me, not something. There was this idea from society and from people in my family that you're a black woman. You have to work two, three times as hard. Mm-hmm. So this do is that. This what comes with the territory. Exactly. So if you don't eat, you don't eat. Mm-hmm. So if, drink another coffee. Are you still trying to get a leg up on your entrepreneurial career? Now, I told you about the morning meetup, the community that was created for the betterment of entrepreneurship. And we are cooking up some really cool things. Now, here's the thing. If you join today, you can actually get in for 60% of the original price. So if you join today, all you have to do is download the app. And I provided the link below so that you can join us. We have community. We have a book club. And it's the largest group that meets every single day, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. to literally get a head start on entrepreneurship so if you're still trying to grow you don't know what your business is going to be but you know you want to be an entrepreneur this is the community for you so check out the morning meetup click the link below download the app and join us today and at this time when you say like this was the first person to ask you you know are you under stress are you saying that in your love circle like people are basically looking at you and the tone is like they expect you to work this hard or do you think that they knew what you were experiencing no i don't think people knew because i didn't know okay and so it wasn't until that moment when she asked me that question that doctor asked me i was like oh shoot i guess i am stressed Mm -hmm. you're right Mm -hmm. and then this stranger i'm in urgent care i've never seen this person before so a stranger is the one to ask me. So even that was like a sad, like a sad moment of wow, no one, no one noticed. I didn't notice, mm-hmm. and I'm stressed out. Yeah, because I didn't have the boundaries in the work that I was doing, mm-hmm. or within myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the time, I think about um, the highest stress point in my life is crazy. When I tell you the parallels, I don't know how many is going to be before the end of this conversation. <laughs> Because the first person who ever asked me if I was stressed, I didn't even know I was stressed. Because I was like, no, I'm traveling, it's doing this, that. It's just like, it sounds like stress, right? Mm. It's like, at that point in my career, I thought I was at the peak. I'm like, oh, we're going to the upper echelon. I didn't identify with stress. Yes. When you were, when you, she asked you, you obviously pulled from a place where you recognized you were. Mm-hmm. Where did you think you were in your career? Were you like, I'm at the top of my game? Were you thinking I'm close? Or were you thinking I'm behind? What was your mindset? Yeah, so I definitely, I knew I was doing well in the store. Mm-hmm. I knew um, we would have Friday calls and review our everyone's sales reports. So from that perspective, I knew I was doing well. Um, but at the same time, I got this promotion to this higher volume store, right? 
and there was a position that opened up in corporate it wasn't quite a buyer but you know you just got to get your foot there yes mm -hmm. so I applied to it and they called me I want to say this was February okay and I transferred to the new store in March and so some point between March and April I had my interview with the corporate person they contacted I find out later they contacted my district manager and said hey you know how is Ashley tell me about her work ethic etc and she said oh you can't have her right now oh. Oh. I didn't know that until later mm -hmm. right so the the burning stinging sensation ended up being shingles okay okay so that so February March that was August so I find out I have shingles in August and the reason why I had it was because I wasn't eating well and I had chicken pox as a child so if you have chicken pox as a child the virus is already in your body okay and usually lies dormant until you're older okay when your immune system is more naturally low mm -hmm. and more susceptible to viruses so by August I find out I'm stressed out I got shingles and I already knew that I didn't get the position but I didn't know why and you know people talk I have ended up getting in touch with the original person that interviewed me and she said oh such and such I don't remember her name okay mm -hmm. she said that we couldn't have you because she needed you where you were excuse me um, what are you thinking in that moment I'm thinking I have bust my butt to get to this place I could have been running this store as a store manager four years ago mm -hmm. I didn't need to be here but I I saw it as a stepping stone so I was furious most definitely and I knew that I had to change something I'd already been diagnosed with shingles and so I'm like oh I got to do something about stress mm -hmm. I don't know what yet mm -hmm. but I thought oh I need to quit this job okay I need to quit because you don't I'm not I'm not a human to you I'm just a, a worker I'm just somebody else that would do the thing because if I left if a store manager leaves and they don't have anybody in time guess who has to do the job the district manager and she did not want to do it so how long did it take for you to decide okay you said I need to quit I want to quit this job to the day that you actually quit uh oh I am a planner okay so I all I <laughs> I figured it out so you're not burning any bridges around no here. Okay. no you see I ain't dropped the name I could, yes because <laughs> mm -hmm. you know there there is somebody right now like sis yes you you think you you think you saved yourself you made it worse for yourself yes. there's some people who would have been like nah I'm out right yeah. so um I knew that I needed to take a va vacation mm -hmm. I hadn't taken any time and this has been about a year and so I planned and got my vacation approved for two weeks over that time chilled and also planned a little bit more mm -hmm. and then when I came back I gave them a month's notice nice listen y'all not gonna say Ashley McLemore did anything foul yeah so I gave them 30 days notice and I spent 
the month of October, so fast forward September, I kind of chilled a little bit, saved some money, and then I spent the month of October looking for an apartment in New York. Hmm. Where were you at at the time? I don't think I got your location. I did not say. I was in Ohio. You were in Ohio. Yes. Okay, got you. Yeah. The, and the journey begins. Yes. I <laughs> to a bunch of different cities. So you were in Ohio, and I was also trying to figure out, was this a retail in terms of, um, was it um, like fashion? Because I know your degree was in fashion, or was it like um, brick and mortar, like big box retailer? A uh, big box retailer. Mm -hmm. um, this was um, jewelry retail also. Okay, got mm -hmm. you, got you. Um, so you were looking for an apartment in New York. What were you going to do in New York? I was like, you know, if I'm going to be stressed out, I need to be in fashion week. Oh, I need to like really put this degree to use. Mm -hmm. And I interned in New York when I was in undergrad. So I already had a big love for New York City. So I was ready to nice. get back there. And this was just the push that I needed to go on back. Did you have connections? Um, I had a few. Mm -hmm. um, New York, it moved so fast. So there were some people that were long gone, but my um, University still has like a satellite office in a way in New York City okay. for when um, students come to do their internships there and they you can take courses as well. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to connect with my alumni um, association and try to make some connections there. And um, but I didn't have a job. You just went. I had calculated my coins. And was like, okay, how long can I survive in New York City based on this savings account? Period alone, mm -hmm. knowing that I was going to have a couple jobs, but how long can I survive? Calculated what my rent needed to be, found an apartment on Craigslist mm -hmm. in 2011, That's and cool. I got in a U-Haul and drove to New York City. How much time had you given yourself before you quit? What was your indication? Like, when I have this much saved up, I'm good. I wanted a round number. Um, I was making 28000 A year? A year at the retail job. Got you. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I'm also in Ohio, so my rent was $400. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Bring okay. it into perspective. <laughs> Full circle. Yes, yes. So $400 rent. And my car was paid for, right? Okay, anyway. So I wanted to have just a round number. So I ended up saving $6,000. Okay. Rounded that up. I was like, I've already quit the job. So let me just, this is what I have. So I have six months of rent. Okay. Was my, my thought process. My rent was $1,000. Let me tell you about this apartment. Okay. New York City. <laughs> Brand new building. Mm-mm. A half a block from the train station, like not even a full street, half a block, doorman, concierge, gym in the building, hardwood wood floors. <laughs> Blown away. I found it on Craigslist. I'm so surprised. It was not a scam. I saw the, the pictures and I was like, this, and it was a man. I was like, this man is going to try to do something. You still move forward though. Because when I met him, I was like, oh, mm. this is legit. And he just wants some extra income. But at this point, you had already packed up and, and went. No. So I went to New York for a couple days okay. and went back. 
Mm. And then I drove back with my U-Haul like two weeks later. Mm. Speaking of boundaries, at this point, this is a very intuitive mm -hmm. move you're, you're taking. Yes. So like, even though, you, so at this point, you weren't necessarily super duper aware of your boundaries. Mm -mm. How would you look back at this moment now, knowing what you know now? Yes. It was still the best decision. I, I would have... Yeah, it was still the best. I, I really was cautious mm -hmm. with the process. Um, I wanted to move in with someone that I knew at first. So mm -hmm. uh, I was trying to make something work with somebody else and they did not have their things together. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go the stranger route. Yeah, when I think about it, there's a, have you read uh, The Body Keeps the Score yet? I know you will. If you yeah, have it. I have it, but it's on my list. It's. I think about it, and I'm not that deep into it, so yeah. not that I'm saying that I'm, I am. But the the theme in itself, you know, talks about how your body knows mm -hmm. what it knows. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about your decision, which is very intuitive mm -hmm. of you. And even when you look back, it's never to say like, "Hey, what would I change?" or, you know, "Was I wrong for that?" But it's more just to kind of reckon. I, in my mind, I'm thinking. Your body actually knew that you cool. you were in the right place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. So you move forward. I feel like that's like what I'm sensing from that. Yeah. Even though I am sower, I'm just like, what the boundaries expert? She goes to New York and she finds a spot. This is lit. You got a nice apartment, a thousand dollars. He got a couple yes. dollars in his pocket. Yep. What's next? And uh, I had to find a job, mm -hmm. and I was determined not to work in retail again. But I worked in retail again, mm -hmm. and um, I did that for about eight months. Okay. And then the, right after that, I got into um, a private label showroom. So tell me more. I have no clue yes. what that could even mean. Yes. Yeah, so it's just a, one person that the fashion world has deemed. Um, to have a good opinion on fashion, right? And so they bring in private labels. So if you had a clothing company that wasn't owned by Saks, so it's just yours, so that's private, mm -hmm. and you, you know, had these exclusive gowns, and you would say, okay, Tom, you can put my gowns in your boutique for X amount of months okay. or something like that. Mm -hmm. So he had um, eight different private labels within this showroom, and everybody from anybody would come in there and shop and so it was kind of like retail but high-end exclusive yeah. um, retail uh, and then I just stayed in luxury after that mm -hmm. and worked for um, the highest top luxury brand in the world actually that was fun I did their uh, jewelry so anything over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars yes yeah I was in charge of all of those things. This is amazing. Now, I'm noticing, we're not saying any names, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, where are we like, at? so is yes. it important to not say the name for you? No, not necessarily. Um, the The highest top luxury store in the world is Bergdorf Goodman. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've, have you watched Inventing Anna on no, Netflix? I haven't. Okay. So it was debuted in that show because it is like the highest of the highest mm. place to shop. And there's only one in the world and it's in, on Park Avenue in New York City. Wow. How did you get the savvy to like network your, or not even network? Mm. How did you get the savvy to like navigate into this role? New York gives you that. Hmm. I, it, 
if you can stick with it, I was there for seven and a half years. I count the half because it's very important. <laughs> okay. And um, I came from Ohio, but I knew that I wanted more. Yeah. So that drive partially was there, but then New York teaches you, like this is how you have to move. Every conversation is a business opportunity. So that's what I did. Everyone I spoke to, whether we were just at the bar having a cocktail or on the train, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, and this was really before I was into social media. So I'm like, oh, what's your phone number? Got it. <laughs> what's your email? Yeah. Let's, let's be connected in some way. And I think LinkedIn at the time too. So okay. I was doing all of that. Got you. When was the first? So, because here's the thing, you made it from this one decision to get the apartment yes. to being at the number one fashion um, brand. Yes. What's the first alley-oop? I mean, there were, there were some in there. Yeah. There were, there were definitely some in there. I think, um, I'm trying to remember who actually, someone introduced me to someone else at or close to Bergdorf, mm -hmm. but I can't remember who it was. Mm. Um, but that was a, a great piece. Um, the biggest alley-oop though was from someone in Bergdorf, the, one of the buyers actually. So she was in charge of buying all the jewelry that was there. Mm -hmm. And one of her friends needed, um, a, I think office manager was the title. And they were like, oh, Ashley's amazing. Ashley can do it. Let me reach out to her. But she works at Bergdorf and she probably making a lot of money. So you have to offer her a lot. Mm -hmm. I wasn't making a lot of money. <laughs> oh, it's just a big high, high yeah. posi prestigious position. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like I met, met, I saw Beyonce, Aretha Franklin, Kelly Rowland, all of these celebrity, uh, Lady Gaga mm -hmm. in Bergdorf. Like, mm. so you were in spaces around people, heiress and actual like queens from around the world came. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. And they're like, oh, I want this $300,000 pair of earrings. Yeah. Ashley, can you go get it out the vault? That's, that was what I did. Yeah. And um, so when her friend needed a role, she was like, Ashley's the best person. If you can poach her, she'll go. And they didn't know you were right for the picking. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, let me go on it. Yeah. I was like, well, um, how much is it? And I think they said, I don't know, 40,000 or something. I was yeah. like, well, is there insurance? So I, I didn't have insurance at the time. And she said, well, no, we don't do that. And I was like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I can't. They came back to me. And they were like, okay, well, we can't. I think I also asked them for more money. You better so, negotiate. So they said, okay, well, we can't do this, but we can give you full coverage, insurance coverage, dental, medical, and it's it was on the owner's insurance. Mm -hmm. So it was top notch, like gold, platinum, whatever, PPO. And um, and then they gave me two two thousand more dollars and was like, okay, all together, this gets you to fifty k if you include what they're paying for insurance and mm -hmm. whatever. And I was like, okay, bet. 
And you took it. I took it. That's lit. And you negotiated. Mm -hmm. You're going from like, you know, retail to not necessarily like, like the corporate bureaucracy that you would have had to deal with if you went the buyer route immediately. Exactly. You didn't necessarily have to deal with that, but you did pick up the savvy to yeah. know, negotiate, to find your way into Bergdorf, Bergdorf Goodman. Listen, y'all going to hurt you. Please, I hope nobody's judging me because I'm like, what? No, I'm not going to try But mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, before you left, you made the distinction between like, you know, I met Beyonce to I saw Beyonce, right? Because I don't need Beyonce or anybody from the <laughs> Beehive, Bayhive coming for me. Oh, yes, absolutely. I only I only mentioned that because it you really like you mentioned that and it made me think of the social dynamics. Yes. How long were you there? I was there for a year. Okay. Just, yeah. Because I was going to ask, what did you, in that time, in your that year while you were there, mm -hmm. what was like the number one or two things that you learned about, you know, social dynamics or being around power yes. in that space? Yes. So interestingly enough, I skipped over this part, but in undergrad, um, I was around a lot of music celebrities. Mm. So everybody from Atlanta that was rapping came to Ohio to do concerts. And I knew people, so I would be either, sh not chauffeuring, but like, okay, this is the, the pop-in party to go to after your concert. Mm -hmm. So I met Lupe Fiasco and Shadi Lowe before he passed and um, Gucci Mane and all of these celebrities and Lil Wayne and Carrie Hilson in undergrad. Nice, I got you. So I learned that then, mm -hmm. that you don't fangirl out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't run up to people and t or try to touch people or take pictures and um, really everyone we're all just humans and so that practice of treating humans like humans that's literally what I say and it sounds silly but if I'm not treating you like a god and I just treat you like another human I'm gonna respect you I'm gonna honor you I'm gonna be aware that yeah I shouldn't touch you because boundaries physical boundaries mm -hmm. are important mm -hmm. even though I love your music or whatever it is that you do so I was I had parts of that and then to the point of hypervigilance earlier I'm watching what everyone else is doing nobody else is ah, oh. mm -hmm. no one else is doing that so I'm like all right I'm not gonna stick out I'm already the black girl <laughs> so okay, like, we I've cool. Been here we cool. Champagne. Yeah. Would you like some? Uh, you know, and left it that way. But on the inside, did you ever fan girl out? Carrie, no. Yeah, Carrie Hilson. When I met her, I fan girls, and um, when I saw Kelly Rowland, mm -hmm. she had on glasses and kind of just walked through. Um, so the jewelry in Bergdorf is on the first floor. And so she just was walking past. And I was like, y'all know who that is? And people didn't know. Oh. And I was like, y'all are tripping. This is the queen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, those two definitely were like, okay, keep it together. Okay. I love mm -hmm. it. I love it. So they poached you and yes. you went on to a new um, yes. role. Mm-hmm what was the like the new experience like and they wanted you to be more in like admin it sounds like mm -hmm. so how was that That's transition what they thought. oh <laughs> i have a i have a um not a pattern history maybe mm -hmm. of people like oh okay this is what we want you to do and then i get in and i'm like 
I would rather do this thing over there or someone asked me a question and realized I can do much more mm -hmm. and then I'm just off to the races. So um, this was a pivotal role for me because it had, it really, it launched my, my business. I didn't know it was doing that at the time, but I learned about diamonds, gemstones, cut clarity, weight. Um, I was in the diamond district and it was a small company. What I would now be like, oh, this was a small business. I didn't know I was working for a small business. Mm. And um, it was really the foundation for how to run a business or not, how to treat your employees or not mm -hmm. on a smaller scale versus what I was already used to within um, retail that had that huge corporate arm mm -hmm. and they didn't have a manual. I created a manual for them. Yes. I created their um, their inventory system because they didn't have one of those, which I learned at Bergdorf. Okay. Right. So now for my business, I have an inventory system. Mm -hmm. I have a manual. I don't got no employees yet, but y'all gonna know what the processes processes are yes. when you come in here, mm -hmm. right? And so that was just a pivotal role for me for that reason. Did you, so what was the role that they hired you for and what would you describe the actual role that you did? Knowing now that it was a small business or even thinking about it as a startup, I just did everything. I would okay. say, um, hmm, maybe like a creative director or a director of sorts. Mm -hmm. So they would do um, bespoke pieces. So engagement rings or like a iced out necklace mm -hmm. and um, I got to be a part of that and then sometimes I had to go get the lunch and then sometimes um, running to the different jewelers that were in town that were going to adjust or create the the piece speaking to people in China and looking oh, wow. at like the dimensions and the little scales and how things are actually made, all mm. of that. That is amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated. I'm fascinated, one, because like, in my, my little world, I think about if you had gone to the buyer role, mm -hmm. right? And I'd be doggone, every time I talk to you, every time you tell me a story, I think of the pivots that we've taken yes. along the journey. And in my corporate experience, when you are given a high salary with you think such autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. And you're really like a cog in a wheel, mm -hmm. you get your like antly duties. Yes. But when you're in a role like this, you get so much experience. So much. That is amazing. Yes. Would, where, would you say that along this time, where would you say your confidence um, mm. come, came from? Ooh. Tell it, girl. <laughs> so, wow. I've always had, okay, this is what I will say. My work ethic and the confidence in the work that I'm going to deliver has always been there. Mm -hmm. In school, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get an A. No question. That's it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get the A. Mm -hmm. And so that part, I think it's just always been there. New York definitely gave me some extra pizzazz with my hustle. Um, but the confidence around like setting boundaries and then setting personal and professional boundaries, that came, that came later. 
Mm. Like, I knew that I needed to negotiate. So to me, that's associated with my work and my worth value. So that was a given. It didn't feel like a boundary necessarily. Yeah. The best way to support the Work and Play podcast is by subscribing to the YouTube channel and by going to your favorite podcast player to subscribe and rate the Work and Play podcast. That's all you have to do. So if you are liking the Work and Play podcast, the content, the stories that we're sharing, and you know that this will help someone, go ahead and share the content to someone who could actually use it and help them on their journey to transition from corporate into entrepreneurship. Now let's get back into the episode. Did it ever feel like in any of your roles, um, cause we've only just talked about two, but you've had several over yeah. the years, which one, if you can think about it, would you say you learned the most about, um, overextending or allowing people to either betray your boundaries or you not actually uphold your own boundaries? Mm. I would say the place Ooh, this is a tough one. Mm. I would say it had to have been a combination of me being in grad school. So we're fast forwarding a little mm. bit. Mm -hmm. um, me being in grad school, the relationship that I had at that time, mm -hmm. and the job that I was working for at the time. Like it was a trifecta of, are you gonna set these boundaries yet? You gonna set these boundaries? Cause we gonna, give you all these different places and opportunities to assert them, maintain them, vocalize them to people. And that time was the hardest to do that. I was between, so grad school was two years, 2014 to 2016. And so there were two jobs in that time frame. One was at a foster care agency. Mm. That was hard. Mm -hmm. That was hard work. Uh, I only did that for eight months. Yeah. I was like, ooh, the kiddos. Yes. Right? The yes. kids. And um, and so then being in grad school and taking classes at night mm -hmm. and then um, other side jobs I had, right? And then this relationship that I was in, I now am able to see, like, I was just losing my natural confidence as that relationship went on. Mm -hmm. And then I switched roles because um, I couldn't do the foster care agency anymore. And um, I started, um, it was similar to City Service Corps or AmeriCorps, okay. Peace Corps, that mm -hmm. kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it was in New York. So okay. I wasn't abroad anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I got a stipend. They paid me so low that I couldn't, they couldn't even call it pay. So it was a stipend, yeah, right? And at this point, I'm transitioning from the fashion world to public health. Hmm. So my decision was, okay, how are you going to, looking at my resume, it's full of retail, almost 10 years worth. How are you going to get someone to trust you and hire you in public health? I need to change my resume. So I did the foster care agency. Mm -hmm. And then I got into this program that put me in New York City Health Department. Okay. Six, over 6,000 employees, the largest city agency in the US. And you're over it, you said? I, I got into the company, okay. right? So now my toe is in there. Mm -hmm. I'm on a stipend. So I'm like just above the intern. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. But I'm in there. 
And because again, that hustle, I'm like, oh, who am I talking to? How can I network? And I just did that. You parlayed that experience. Yes. I'm thinking about, um, you know, the trifecta. Because like one, mm. on one side, you're a go-getter. You're doing what you gotta do yes. to get to where you wanna go. And on the other side, you are in a relationship, mm -hmm. which you said you were losing your confidence. What are some of the things that you caught yourself doing, like in hindsight, that of course you see your clients doing where you can identify like, oh yeah, that right there, no boundaries. That right there, no boundaries. What was it? Yes, I, I would say, venting is really great. It's great, it keeps your throat chakra open and activated. Hmm. And if you're only venting to yourself hmm. or to a friend or to a coworker, that means you're not actually communicating with the issue. Oh. So I was doing that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I am, I was at that time just complaining in some cases, rightfully so, like some situations were warranted a new boundary. Mm -hmm. But I was just having these venting sessions, which just keeps it hot, mm. right? You just like venting is like keeping the oven on the situation. You just simmer all the time and boil and simmer, right? Mm. And so doing that was one of the Stopping that was one of the hardest things for me to do because I'm a vocal person. So even if I'm trying to brainstorm something, I need to talk it out with somebody. And so I had to create the boundary within myself that, okay, I can get it out. I'm a vent. Um, I know which friends or which coworkers to vent to that aren't just going to agree with me mm -hmm. or turn the flame up higher mm -hmm. into that boil. Okay. I know what you mean. And so I had to create the boundary within myself of, okay, go on and get it out. And then once you get it out, how are you going to communicate that with whomever you've been talking about? Whomever that was, if it's your boss, if it was my relationship, whatever it was, yeah. what's the next step? Because venting is okay, but it cannot be the only thing that you do. Got it. And so you're saying to identify that you can you constantly complain about a thing, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily have a solution, or you're not around people who incite solutions yes. from you. That that's a sign that you didn't have boundaries within yourself. That's good. Mm -hmm. You know, like in this entire like cosm of like you know mental health and boundaries and things, we think about like creating these boundaries for other people not to harm ourselves. Yes, I love the example that you give us, where it's like. I'm not protecting my own. I gave myself a boundary. Yes. Like, are you? How long are you gonna complain about it? Mm -hmm. What are you gonna do afterwards? Mm -hmm. And then how are we gonna actually deal with it? Yes, I always Ooh. like to say boundaries are promises you keep. You get to keep to yourself. Mm. You don't have to do anything, mm -hmm. right? But you get to keep these promises to yourself. These boundaries to yourself. Mm. So I. Um, at that time, I was also reading the four agreements. Mm. Girl, <laughs> which agreement is your, is your, the toughest one? <laughs> we not even gonna talk about it. No. Um, yeah, so this was about 2014. Yeah. Uh, I was reading the four agreements and, uh, be impeccable with your word, mm. which also means to not gossip. 
and venting can turn into gossip. True. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I would be in, in my venting sessions ready, like, and then she, and then they, and then I'm like, be impeccable with your word. This is gossip. At, at some point, it turns into gossip. At some point, I start to give my opinion of that person or the scenario, is, and I'm trying to get you to agree with me. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe we kiki, we laugh about it, we go away. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't ever have a conversation with that person. No boundary. And then it happens again mm. because I've never communicated with them about the issue. I'm talking to everybody else. Mm. What was the worst thing? Like, I'm thinking of this situation, and these are things that I never even thought were boundaries or not having boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you're right. Like, you know, venting can turn into gossip, which can turn into a game of telephone, which can turn into, like, he said, she said. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking stuff blows up. Yes. <laughs> you said yes. <laughs> can you please describe a time when it, like, it just blew up and you're like, yo, I did not expect, I did not expect this. Ooh. You know, sometimes I just put those, <laughs> put those in the back. Ooh. Dust it off a little bit. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come sweeping from up under the rug. Dang. All right. Um, a time when, hmm. I'm not really specific on the details, but I do remember a time when um, there was conversation in my team about like raises and promotions or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, this person's gonna get this amount and this amount. And so there was a smaller group of us having this conversation, gossiping mm -hmm. about what people were gonna get or not get and um, the higher ups ended up getting wind of it and it just turned into this like are you fraternizing like why you know why are these conversations even this is against our our policies and our handbook and it just turned into this bigger like hr issue that mm. it it didn't need to be and now fast forward if you're just transparent about what y'all paying people we don't have to have these conversations but in that moment that was not available so the gossip and the opinions that were going around about how much people were going to get what they actually did versus what their title was and all of those layers that was something where it was just like no that was a bad idea mm. that was a bad idea mm -hmm. and it really just blew up into this big messy thing yeah and now fast forward because I do know a little bit about like you know what you do just from a glimpse of what you've shared now you're dealing with like you know helping people navigate in those like sticky mm -hmm. conflictive you know corporate situations yeah but it started off as you wanting to be in fashion I right know, isn't that amazing yeah <laughs> I'm thinking you know you wanted to be in fashion you went into retail you wanted to be a buyer I'm curious about both sides, honestly. One, like this creative side and who you were as a kid that developed into the woman who wanted to be in fashion. But I'm also curious, and I'm sure there's a connection, but you know, however you tell your story, I'm also curious what drove you to, or what um, gravitated you towards public health. Yeah. Like were they similar or were they completely different things? Yes, 
So the way I remember it, and it's my story, so I'm gonna tell it how I remember it, um, is that I used to doodle and draw a lot as a kid and play with Barbies and dress up and all of that. So, and my mom studied interior design. And so it was always how does something look and putting everything together. So that was already there a bit. And um, so fashion was just interesting. Mm. I used to watch America's Next Time Model. Okay, I thought I could have been a model. You could have. But then I realized they're all over like 5'10". Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right, so as a kid, <laughs> I didn't know I was only gonna be 5'1". <laughs> with sneakers on, I didn't know. So I thought, okay, so fashion industry was always a big interest to me. Mm -hmm. And when I was 18, I wrote out like my dream, whatever they have you do in high school, like your dream thing. Mm -hmm. And I literally wrote down that I was gonna be in fashion and retire as a sex educator. Really? I wrote it down at 18. That literally, like, I can see, I can see this. You gotta open it up for us. Yes, so I was, um, I went to school during the, uh, I think they called it like a promissory note. Okay. And so it was Bush mm. and it was an abstinence letter. Essentially you were signing. Okay. You said Bush, like the administration? Yes. And this is you, you signing a promissory note to yourself about abs, uh, abstaining? Mm-hmm. Okay. In middle school. Okay. And I thought it was BS because... Okay, so in middle school, we had like sex ed. Mm -hmm. One day, some stranger came into our class and told us this is what stuff is. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, well, I know people that's already doing some of this, so this don't, <laughs> this isn't new to me. <laughs> I was like, okay. Fast forward, get into high school, and we have seniors pregnant in the school. So I'm like, there's a disconnect somewhere here between like this idea that you're supposed to uh, abstain from sex until marriage. Mm -hmm. No one's talking about masturbation or, or personal, individual pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just was like, y'all, y'all were already late with this little note that y'all didn't try to get everybody to sign. Mm. And then you didn't give us any information. And I'm curious. I want to know. Well, what's this thing and that thing, and what can I do? Not do what's considered safe or not. Yeah. And so I lived in a library and in Planned Parenthood. I was like, how much information can I get? Wow. So all my friends, most of my friends would come to me. Girl, what, what's this? Okay, so I got this, where can I go to get birth control? What can I, what does this look like? And all right, well, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll take you, I will take you, my other 15 year old friend <laughs> right. to Planned Parenthood to get on some birth control. And I knew a lot of a lot of my friends were either on birth control or having sex. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> funny story, some of them were on the the depo shot. So it's a shot that you can get every three months. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, there's no patch, there's no pill, there's nothing to remember. So it's very common, especially then, um, for teenagers. Cause you could just get it and no one could know, but there was weight gain mm -hmm. and I was interested in getting it because I've always been this small. I was like, Oh, y'all about to get so thick. I'm about to get thick with this depot shot. It didn't work. 
it didn't work. But I was on it for like two or three years because I was really trying. Listen, she like, oh yeah, your girlfriend to be poking out here with the devil. <laughs> and then they would put it in like the meatiest part of your body because the needle was like two or three inches long. Mm. No joke. And so I would get into my butt thinking like butt injections. That wasn't even the thing yet for, I didn't know nothing about it, but I was like, oh, if I get it in my butt, maybe it'll go there first. Yep. We there, sis. Listen, I know we talking about careers, but this is what happens. This is important. And this was a part of my logic. I was like, oh, I want to now go back and mm -hmm. teach people, yeah. these high other 15, 14 year olds, what your options actually are because abstinence can't be it. Yeah. That's, that's not even, option means I got more than one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and the way that it was framed was like, no, you, you just abstain. Yeah. And that was it. And I said, no, I need to have as much information as I can mm. about this subject. And so my master's degree is in health education, but I have a concentration on sex and sexuality for that reason. Okay. Yeah. I have a, I, I'm trying to, I, I can assume a lot, but that's also number like one, don't take, no, no, that's take, don't take things personally, but there's a don't assume in the four yes, agreements. Yes. And there are so many things that I'm putting together from, you said I'm going to be a fashion designer, um, sex educator. Mm -hmm. And through things, through your life, everything, you know, the tapestry is putting together. Yes. Um, there's so many ways we can unpack, but yes. I'm curious about the sex education piece yeah. specifically. Yeah. You know, like I said, I started this conversation talking about like when you're navigating in corporate, and you don't know your, your, your boundareies, that can have its own, like, you know, uh, wreak its own havoc on your career. Yeah. But then also in your personal, in your personal life, right, where you don't have boundaries there, right, then you also are susceptible to some of these health, public health issues that we're talking about. Yes. As you're going through your career, and there's a retail stint, there's, you know, your master's, mm -hmm. What are the things in life, what is the thing in life that brought you back to public health? Because we were entrenched in retail at time, at one point. Like mm -hmm. you could have forgotten all about this mm -hmm. public health thing. Mm -hmm. What was it in the sexual space that reminded you to, that this was a, this is something that you need to be on? Yeah, so I was working at that um, private jeweler mm -hmm. and I skipped over the part that they were just wild. Mm -hmm. They would like yell at each other and Got throw it. stuff in the office. It mm -hmm. was an extremely toxic work environment. So I was ready to get out of there and I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. And I thought to myself, if you're gonna have someone yelling at you and upset, let it be for a better reason mm -hmm. than like their piece of jewelry or this like I don't know, the dress was in the wrong size or something. Mm -hmm. Like, let it be for something more meaningful. And I didn't want to be a doctor. So I thought, oh, right, health education, sex, sex education. Let me look back into that. Okay. And so I just started looking up programs. I was in New York City. So I thought, well, not NYU. That's a lot. Okay, not Columbia. Mm. <laughs> where's, the, where's the school for me? Um, and I didn't want, I wanted to also be like night school, condensed class and all of that. So I ended up going to Lehman College, which is a um, city university of New York. Okay. It's in uh, the Bronx actually. And I was living in Harlem by that time again. And um, I just 
once I started seeing the, the coursework available, I thought, oh, I can focus all of my coursework in sexual health. And that was perfect for me. So they didn't have like a sex education degree. So I was like, okay, health education. I then found out that the uh, public health in, excuse me, public schools and school institution was just not going to let me say what I wanted to say as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't get my teacher certification, but I got the master's so that I could still learn how to educate people mm -hmm. and how to create a curriculum and how to evaluate um, research for, for valid or what's considered valid data. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why I ended up getting a degree in health education after doing some research, finding the right school mm -hmm. and the coursework that I wanted to do. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Cause essentially it's not even that it stayed with you. It's like you were in a situation which was, like you said, toxic, right? Mm -hmm. And you had the idea, like, oh yeah, there was that little thing back then. I am passionate about that. Let me explore it. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a lot of people, they don't, ch they don't uh, chase or follow that that yeah. voice. Yeah. And for you, it just opened back a, a whole side of you that you had once been really, really passionate about, anyway. So you said you learned about, like, you know, creating a curriculum, and I think that's really important that you said that. You know, inst the institution wouldn't allow you to teach it how you wanted to. Yeah. What was your relationship with the thought of like entrepreneurship at this time? Like, why not do entrepreneurship instead of go to school? Wow. Now that I'm an entrepreneur, I have thought back on that a lot, mm -hmm. and I didn't have that confidence. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't have that confidence, and I didn't have that example yet. Mm. One of my close friends um, was an entrepreneur. I would say just towards the end of our college experience. Mm -hmm. And so I saw her, but she was in fashion. She was selling t-shirts and had a brand. And so that was the only example I really had. And she was stressed out, honey. So I was like, don't want no piece of entrepreneurship is not for me. <laughs> I know how to be at somebody's job and show up in nine to five and plan things. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. It's crazy how exposure works, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, okay. and honestly and truly the education, do you feel like, you know, because fast forward, DE&I, right? Like there's so many parts of the tapestry and I would do it, a, I feel like a, a 90 minute conversation just doesn't do your, your journey justice. Um, but the DE&I piece, like I honestly, You've worked, and honestly, I don't know the color any of any of the people that you've worked with, right? Mm -hmm. um, like your identity as a woman, as a black woman, um, even sexual education, you identifying the fact that, okay, institutions aren't gonna allow me to speak. Like all of these things, I can make so many connections, but I don't have I time to work. <laughs> How did you, but now I'm formulating a question because now it's like, how did your identity like play a role in like is it identity or what was it that steered you mm -hmm. that's the right word mm -hmm. to like the de and i space absolutely um similar to like wanting to learn mm. so in undergrad i took pan-african study everything my writing class was actually focused in african literature mm. Um, and so that 
was what definitely started the interest in learning more about black culture that included more than slavery. And then um, working in the fashion industry as a, a black woman and later coming out as a black queer woman, there were lots of non-black people around. Mm -hmm. There was lots of um, colorist and racist comments that were not always said directly to me or about me, but just in passing, or I could hear certain things. Mm -hmm. um, working in this luxury store, right, in this, I would even say in retail in general, the loss prevention, they call it loss prevention, theft, mm -hmm. um, procedures are often rooted in, one, make, making assumptions, but then also, like, one of the, for example, one of them is like, oh, if somebody comes in with a crinkled or old bag, they might be stealing. Okay. Right. But there was, there would be all different races or ethnicities of people with crinkled bags, but the black people definitely got followed. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. Right. Or um, Bergdorf would have different colored bags for different seasons. Their main color was purple. And so during like su uh, summer or winter, they would have holiday bags. And so if someone came in in July with a holiday bag, you're like, why are you, we, got, we don't even have these bags on the floor no more. Mm. So these are loss prevention indicators, but also when you know those indicators, there were also pieces and times when people were followed or questioned um, that may or may not have those in indicators, but were black or had on sneakers or um, fitted caps, right? Because I was in retail in the early, mm -hmm. mid to 2000s. Mm -hmm. those, were, those were very popular. <laughs> um, and so there were still these things that were rooted in anti-blackness. And as the store manager, sometimes I had to perpetuate those policies. Uh, and or create new policies to add on or or expand so that my sales associates specifically knew you have 30 seconds to speak to people when they come into the door I don't care what they look like period I don't care if you think they're gonna shop here I don't care if they come in and out the store 15 times already because people just playing mm -hmm. every time someone comes into the store you speak to them and acknowledge their existence because when I walk into stores, people don't acknowledge me all the time. Hmm. And it just doesn't feel good. I am not invisible. And matter of fact, you definitely saw me. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. For many reasons, whether my hair is big or I got on a certain color, you saw me. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so as a black woman, I have not had the privilege to not see race. And then I thought, okay, well, what else can I learn about um, my culture, my race, my history, and how else can I incorporate that into the work that I'm doing? And so um, at the foster care agency, I worked with a lot of kids that were um, Haitian and Dominican and multiracial. Mm. And it's like, we, ha we have to talk about these things. We have to. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that was like so they can like one so they they can know their heritage, mm -hmm. right? Um, but then two, so that you can like identify, so that, like they can have their own sense of identity. Absolutely. I think that um, for you, you you are very poised and you seem very logical in your thinking, right? So you navigate a world where you kind of have like strong ties and you, you're also educated from like mm -hmm. an African history perspective but mm -hmm. without that at a young age you got to catch them when they're young so that they can know who they are yes we're in this when they're in this world yes because my mom her her version was oh no your little white friends don't really like you and I was like mama what <laughs> but Amanda that is my best friend All right and now I I understand what she was saying from the the level of information that she had mm -hmm. and what she was trying to get me to uh, realize. And frankly, it stuck it in my head because I will never forget that conversation. Yeah. Um, but it was like, oh, I needed more. Mm -hmm. I needed to understand more the nuance, the history of this country to really know what she was trying to say yeah you've been in different situations where you've experienced uh, conflict mm -hmm. uh, workplace conf conflict against you against others mm -hmm. um you've been in different environments where you're the only black girl where you're like you're around power all these different dynamics and now you're going to into corporate spaces and you're helping people um iron out some of their conflicts so to speak right yeah given that statement right of like you know you know amanda don't like you you know it creates a it creates a um schema in our mm -hmm. mind absolutely where we it's hard to break that especially when you want to be objective with what you know and you're educated and humans are humans you want to be realistic about things um how do you take how does this like you know the childhood you and the educated mm. you how does this play a role in you being able to um the word is mitigate, not mitigate conflict, but how does it play a role when you go into a situation where you are now a black woman and you are here to diffuse a situation? There it is, I, mm. I got it. Mm -hmm. um, how does that stuff come into the room with you as a black woman, as a black queer woman mm -hmm. who is in the room to diffuse a conflict? Yes. Ooh. Mm. Okay, breathing. Yes. That's, that's one of the first most important things is to get centered because um, I have the wherewithal and kind of foresight to know there are power dynamics at play. Mm -hmm. And it's this kind of fun thing for me because in a corporate setting, in, I, I've facilitated with medical providers, doctors. So, you know, if I put thinking about power dynamics, the power and control wheel specifically, it's like, okay, you're a medical doctor, maybe you're a man, maybe you're white, maybe you're a white man. In this society, you have more power. But when I'm facilitating, I know what I'm talking about. I am the expert. And so that lends that extra little sprinkle of confidence of you can know what you're talking about you go on and do the heart surgery stitch somebody up I'm not gonna do that mm -hmm. but today 
I am here as the expert so that we can talk about whatever has been going on in the space. And so really coming in from that point, like for me personally, I don't necessarily always say that. Sometimes I have to because um, people that have power are not used to not having it. So sometimes that has to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps those moments. But also I tell people when I'm facilitating, I am here for to answer your wildest questions because I don't want you to go back after this conversation and go ask your coworker, so how do you get your hair like that? Mm-hmm. Ask me. Mm-hmm. I'd rather you ask me and we talk about why the fetishizing of black women's hair has this deep history. And even if you are fascinated or interested, a simple, if you have a relationship with this person, I don't like your hair, your hair looks nice, period. Mm-hmm because there's that history there Mm. and and my hair wasn't always allowed to be like this at work right so there's just all these layers and nuances Mm. and so I often tell people when I'm facilitating conversations usually small group um, as far as corporate is concerned um, I'm here to answer your questions I am really like this I'm authentic I'm like this is the most dressed up I got in two years. This is for you. Okay. <laughs> this is for you. Um, Cause sometimes I'm, I'm jeans and a t-shirt. Like let's take away as many of the power dynamics and the power trips possible so that we can just have some authentic and maybe get to genuine conversations. Right. Mm. Like, let's get there. What else is really going on? Did your mama tell you something about black people? Let's talk about that. Mm. That's good. Let's get there because ignoring it helps no one. You know, I like talking to you because in this specific moment, Mm-hmm. With all these different like um, variables mm-hmm. and the way that I communicate, I like that you pick up what I'm putting down. Yeah, it's good. Because what I'm hearing is because my mom told me, um, my friend, and I want to say Amanda, but I'm not quite. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like me. You know, I internalize this thing about white people and I'm aware of that. But that is what allows me to help disarm you, white man, Mm -hmm. so that you can just tell me what your auntie said about me so that we can heal heal it together. Absolutely. And the beauty of that is that there are a lot of white people walking around who don't feel safe enough Mm -hmm. to just say that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But because we know, you know, and you specifically are self-aware enough to bring that into into the room with you. Right. That's why you are the expert. you allow you create a space that allows them to heal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I could have asked it in a better way because I'm like, yo, you answered the question times ten. That was so good. That was so good. Oh my gosh! As I'm thinking about your you talking, I'm looking at your mm-hmm. um your uh, jewelry, and we haven't talked about that part of your business yet. Mm-hmm. And um, one, I'm curious about. Your the way that um, it resonates with you, because for me, when I look at spiritual jewelry, 
I get very logical about it and mm -hmm. I say, well, yeah, if you have a little thing here, it can remind you because your eyes got dark here. Or if I, if I have a um, bracelet, it can at least remind me that it's blue and to remember to speak my truth. Mm -hmm. For you, is it both logical and spiritual? How does that work for you? Absolutely. It very much started from a place of logic, mm -hmm. like literally just how you described it. Mm -hmm. That was it. Mm -hmm. So that's why they have the names that they have. Um, I learned color therapy in my fashion degree. Mm. All this stuff, I'm telling you, it's wild how all this still connects. <laughs> yes. So I didn't even know about chakras yet. Mm -hmm. But I knew that people would paint their walls a certain color to evoke a certain feeling. True. Or brands would select a certain color mm. to evoke a certain feeling. Mm -hmm. And so purple, for example, I mentioned Bergdorf, their bag is purple. It's a lighter purple. That is luxury, uh, royalty. Mm. Um, and so that's part of the reason why I'm sure they probably picked that color. And so when I was making my bracelets, that was definitely my framing. And as I started to go on my own healing journey, which started in 2014 with the four agreements, nice. I started to learn about chakras and how can you, these, these centers of yourself and how I've subconsciously, our society kind of talks about them in different ways already. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh wait, so, this comes out of the ground and so this is earth they use quartz to charge watches so when people are like oh vibration they actually have a vibration we have a vibration our voices vibrate mm -hmm. right everything mm -hmm. is vibrating everything is energy mm. so as i started to learn more about that journey i thought oh this isn't just a blue bracelet right this is a blue bracelet that has this specific stone. This is satellite. And this stone can be used for truthful communication. I'll just leave, there's several, but I'll just leave that one there. And so in addition to that, it also is the color blue. Blue, lighter blue can be calming. Darker blue can be, um, give you a sense of royalty. Okay, cool. So I'm gonna put all this in a bracelet and call it truth and communication and then connect it to so my website now all of my bracelets are connected to a work-related experience mm. because i want people to see that what you're dealing with at work there is something and to put the logic piece in it there is something that you can look down to in the middle of that meeting and remember right truth and communication Ooh. Or remember, oh yeah, prosperity. This is that negotiation meeting that I'm supposed to have. Okay, bet. Mm -hmm. Right? This bracelet is actually black lava beads. I made this. I designed this the morning before I had to have a conversation with a very micromanaging boss. Mm. And I was, I was confident in the conversation, but we've had, we had at that point so many, and it would get heated. Like she would cry. I would just sit there. Sometimes I would like this was again toxic. And this is why I know what to do because I've been there. Like I said at the beginning, I did not have any boundaries. And that's how I knew that's what was missing. Mm. Right? So I think that for people that are struggling with those reminders, the bracelets are perfect for that. 
they're perfect for that and then you can even do like a bespoke bracelet so a specialized bracelet for whatever it is mm. that you have going on and we have a 20-minute consultation I talk to you about okay well what's going on in your life and what are you experiencing what do you want to experience and then I create something special just for you what and so then you could like Add it to your meditation, add it to your prayer, add it to your journaling, right? That's beautiful. Don't for, you know, don't forget what the consultation was about, what your intention was when the bracelet was created. Mm. Those reminders, because we can just go on autopilot mm -hmm. the whole day. You get to place and you don't even know how you got there. Mm -hmm. So we need those reminders, especially in this oversaturated digital world of click this flip this go real fast it's like oh yes okay i'm gonna do my meditation i'm gonna hold or wear my bracelet i'm gonna say my prayers in the morning or whatever however you decide to do and create your ritual mm -hmm. it is so so important for us to just take a couple more minutes sometimes seconds if that's all we got mm -hmm. right okay right this is my reminder this is what i'm gonna do today mm, you mm -hmm. got a whole experience in in the making of these yes um, now I'm curious about the actual offering because I want to offer it to my listeners. This is something that y'all have to get apart. So one, I would love to know the offer, not the offer, but the offering. Like mm -hmm. when you, um, when someone finds you, yes. they find your website and then they set up a consultation before they can purchase anything. So, um, I have 11 bracelets. Mm -hmm. Uh, that are always on the website. Mm -hmm. So anybody can just go on and like this truth and communication bracelet, that's there, okay. pre-made, you can just buy it okay. as is. Mm -hmm. If you want a bespoke bracelet, then there's a um, 20 minute consultation and that is booked and purchased on the website all in one stop shop. Tell me what bespoke means. I think I know it, but I forget. It's similar, custom tailored. Okay. It's, it's the same, but it's made like, for you. Okay, gotcha. Cause yes. it's like, you want to say something. Yes. Right, okay, I'm there. Make a statement. <laughs> yes, it's like, yes, statement pieces, I'm there. <laughs> okay, so they can purchase that up front. Yes. They get time on your calendar, mm -hmm. you have a conversation and then they 30 minute consultation you said 20 yes. minute yes and um, they tell you what they're going through and in that consultation you're figuring out what new piece like what other stones and things you want to put together absolutely do they have a say in the colors okay mm -hmm. they do mm -hmm. so they get a say in the colors they tell you what they're going through and then you add your own pizzazz into whatever it gets yes mm. so it really it really depends some people they want just what they want. Okay. And I'm like, I'm not going to, great. Mm -hmm. I might tell you, oh, well, if you get this color, it will add to um, whatever it is that we discuss, mm -hmm. right? But I essentially, after the conversation, I go to work. I start researching. Usually I have something immediately on the top of my mind uh, by the end of the conversation. And then I actually put together a slide deck. So you won't forget what your bracelet is about. Wow. Because you, you literally home. get slides. That is so <laughs> cool. That is so cool. Yeah, that so is they amazing. get slides. Um, and so I create a prototype. Mm -hmm. So I usually create two to three prototypes of what the bracelet would look like. And they get to pick. And when you look at it, you can say, 
take this out or put more of this or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that is usually after, that's after they've decided on what stone they want, mm -hmm. they want to use. That's so cool. So can we get, like can the audience get some, like can we do like a discount code or just like- Of course a, we can. We can? Yes. Ooh, can it be work and play? Yes. Let's go. <laughs> Listen, this is for you guys. I was thinking the entire time. She didn't ask me. It's fine. We're good. I, we listen, I, I had a feeling it was going to be good. Even if you told me, no, that's boundaries, right? No, for real. That would have been a practical for example for me to practice for real. boundaries. Listen. I ain't scared. Listen. You got it. We got it. So, yes, absolutely. It. I yeah. can put together a promo code for your audience okay. for sure. Um, specifically for the bespoke bracelets like, because... Those don't usually, I don't usually do promos on those. Okay. That's um, amazing. Because, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And, and yeah. I really am intentional in um, the stones that I, I select, mm. the vendors that I use. All of my, um, all of my stones are all natural. Mm. So you can, if you've seen like hot pink, bright yellow, those are usually dyed. So I don't use any dyed stones unless yeah. a client is like, this is the one I want. And I'm like, okay, that's dyed. And I don't, as long as you know, you put it in water, the color might come off Yeah. because it's a dyed stone. I will, I will make it, mm -hmm. but that's not what I'd like to have in my inventory. Mm. Well, I would say not that, not that at all. I'm the business strategist of it all, but you know, if, if we get two, because I understand the labor and love it goes into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So if we get two, then we will do like the discount. But if it's like one, no, I got you. Just, okay. I got y'all. Listen, I want to respect the craft. I got y'all. I, I love it. Yes. So this has been a, a dope conversation. I have loved every single like turn. <laughs> We've been on like yes. literally, and I didn't know that your bracelets were even like tied to work experiences. Yeah. Yeah, you're a dope chick. Listen, I'm, I'm, thank you. Yeah. And I am really trying to, I, I'm on a mission, you know, I want more people to feel more powerful in mm -hmm. their everyday life, mm -hmm. to feel more joy, yeah. um, because as a black woman, as a woman, um, we can carry a lot. Right. As a black person, a person of color, we can carry a lot in the society on our day to day basis. And that baggage is not ever ours to carry. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I'm just on a mission for people to take back their power mm. and use all that worry space, all that um, stressed out, anxious space for joy. Mm -hmm. Just had to take a deep breath. Yes. I have 100% enjoyed this conversation. And before we get up out of here, yes. I would love to just leave a word of wisdom that you can, only you could package up in the way, like in all the experiences that you had, right? Sister girl is sitting in her cubicle right now mm -hmm. and she is trying to figure out what her options are. And she's also trying to figure out what that voice is saying so she can follow it. Mm -hmm. What's your word of advice for someone who hasn't yet tapped into their greatness? Yes. You've already gotten the answer. You just need to believe that it's real. Mm. You heard her. <laughs> I can't, I can't, you can't even uh, like elaborate on that. Hopefully that did not go over your head. 
And if you need to sit down with it a little bit, sit down with it. Mm -hmm. Journal a little bit, because mm -hmm. I understand it might seem cryptic right now. Yes, your intuition is divine. Yeah. It's divine. Trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you. Absolutely. For thank joining you. me on the couch. Thank you. Yes. This has been fantastic. Thank you guys for watching and thank you for listening. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as mm -hmm. much as I did. You heard the woman. You know exactly what to do. Trust yourself. Yes. You already know what to do. You already know your purpose. But until next week, y'all, I'm going to catch you guys later. Peace. <laughs>